How's it going out there, everybody? This is Dan Figella here with Tech Emergence, where we interview investors, researchers, and entrepreneurs in the domain of emerging tech. We've been getting deeper and deeper into the startup ecosystem, and one place that we have yet to go, as of now in the Tech Emergence podcast, is the domain of law. So today I'm lucky enough to have with me uh, attorney Howard G. Zaharoff, uh, who's uh, also a Massachusetts native, and he's on the line with me right now. Howard, how are you? I'm great, Dan. How are you? I'm doing very well. Glad to be able to have you on. I think I'd actually uh, seen your name originally through the Tech Sandbox folks out there in Metro West, um, and uh, and I think you were listed there in a number of different places, and I knew it would be a fit in terms of reaching out. I wanted to, to delve in first, and we had talked about this via email, the topic of IP, intellectual property, right? Very very vague, very buzzy at this given point uh, in space and time. In terms of getting a real concrete understanding, I feel like most startups just have sort of the mystical notion of IP as kind of this magic sauce that they're so smart they came up with. Um, and, and sometimes there isn't much more understanding besides that. What are some of the kind of common myths and misconceptions around IP itself that you run into on a day-to-day? That's a great question, Dan. Um, you know, keep in mind, when we talk about intellectual property, we're talking, in the U.S. at least, about four basic flavors, patents, copyrights, trademarks, and trade secrets. They each have their own special rules, their own special secret sauce, uh, hmm. and their own special misconceptions. Uh, with patents, for example, I think people believe that once you have a patent, you can now do whatever it is that you've patented, that a patent is somehow a right to do something. And it's sort of very important, and it comes as a big surprise to entrepreneurs to learn that a patent isn't really a right to do anything at all. It's a right to exclude others from doing things that you've patented. Whether you can actually do what's in the patent is a function of what other people might have rights to, and that you don't, and that aren't covered by the patent. So uh-huh. misconception with the patent is that it's it's a guarantee that you can do what you patented, and indeed it is not. Uh, copyright, different kind of right. Uh, software is highly protectable by copyrights, um, as are works of authorship, books, uh, entertainment properties, movies, yeah. etc. Uh, as I said, very important in the world of software. A common misconception about a copyright is if you hire someone to create some code or a website for you or something else that's copyrightable, you pay for it, you own it. That's not true. Under copyright law, unless you're hiring someone as your employee to do the job, if they're an independent contractor and you hire and pay them, if there's no document in writing that assigns the right to you, then surprise, surprise, you've paid for something. You've got a right to use it in some fashion. But if it's not in writing, the copyright stays with the person who created the work, even if you paid them for it, which comes as a big surprise, unfortunately, to a lot of entrepreneurs. I'm actually dealing with a situation right now today uh, on my desk, which I'll get back to as soon as we're done, which concerns trademarks. And here there's the misconception that uh, it doesn't matter what's being used out there. If I get to the trademark office first and register the mark, then I now have rights and I can prevent anyone Hmm. else from using it. And that's also very untrue. In the U.S., you get trademarks from commercial use. You use a mark commercially, and as long as you're not infringing someone else's rights, you now have valid, protectable trademark rights, even if you haven't registered it. That said, one of the, you know, I think, real flaws um, of entrepreneurs is to think that trademarks, because they're not as sexy as patents or as interesting as copyrights, are really not that valuable. Big mistake. Uh, I think Coca-Cola, the mark is appraised at somewhere between 70 and $100 million. I think very valuable assets to have. Um, and you do get rights by commercial use. You don't have to register, but you're making a big mistake if you don't register your mark. Hmm. Um, so those are sort of the three basic forms of intellectual property and three misconceptions we often encounter and have to correct. 
Yeah, and I can imagine you're running into ever so much of that. And obviously you have the privy of, of this being your domain, being pretty well immersed here. I know for the average startup, it might have been a obscure blog post they read one time or some myths from some other friend who talked about a copyright once and then they made some assumptions about that. Uh, and, and few of us uh, have the formal the formal background. In terms of resources for you, if there's there's folks that would like to, you know, maybe not get their law degree, um, or maybe you will make that recommendation, but they'd like to have some kind of functional understanding as an entrepreneur out there building a business. Geez, what the heck do I have to know about copyrights, trademarks, uh, trade secrets, etc., and how those are differentiated? Where where would folks go to learn about IP that would be a decent or credible resource? such a wealth of content out there that it's hard to, it is. Uh, to, to be sure day by day what's the best resource. I would say this, though, for, uh, for people who are real beginners at it, the government has several websites, which I think is usually the best place to start. Okay. You have USPTO.gov, yeah. USPTO, U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. That's the official site of the government entity that oversees both patents and trademarks. And since I'm not a patent lawyer per se, I don't usually refer to that for patents, but my, my sense is that it's got some pretty good patent content there. I know that it's got very useful uh, trademark information as well, Great. and as well as the resources to, uh, to learn how to register marks and the like. Um, for copyrights, clearly the best source is also the government, copyright.gov, uh, which is in fact the U.S. Copyright Office, uh, an arm of the Library of Congress, and that site has all these circulars on various topics, very well written, very clear. So you can learn pretty much all you need to know about these basic forms of intellectual property from the government themselves. Um, I would say this, our website, mbbp.com, like many other law firm sites, has, I think, excellent content. Um, there's a, we have a wonderful brochure on the trademark process and how it works. We have a lot of articles on recent changes in the patent law, summaries of various forms of intellectual property, as we were talking about earlier. So I think that um, you know, a combination of the government sites and sort of selectively viewing the sites of law firms like ours that are active in the area is probably a pretty good way to, to get a quick education in intellectual property, what it's about, and how you can protect it. Certainly, and, and it makes sense, you know, the government being the, f the first spot, you know, if, uh, depending on the startup person, I suppose, if you can sort of muster the strength to deal with a site that doesn't have much emphasis on user experience or design, then, you know, you plug through whatever the old uh, interface is and get the, the knowledge. Because at the end of the day, I mean, it sounds as though that's sort of where the buck stops. But then at the same point, there's folks like yourself and, and other folks who are immersed in law all day. Um, are those kind of blogs, such as maybe your own that you had mentioned, interesting places to look at potential, I don't want to say specific case studies, but sort of functional understanding. So in addition to definitions, hey, here's how this played out, here's how this played out. I think that in terms of any concepts, as, as uh, someone interested in pedagogy, I always feel as though that's an, uh, a pretty critical component to sort of understanding a dynamic. Is there anywhere where that sort of content is immersed around? Is that, is that out there in the blogs for the most part, sort of case study level material? Yeah, yeah, you'll find plenty of, of case analyses. I mean, one of the fun things about intellectual property is it's a very state-of-the-art area of law. There are cases all the time. There are uh, quite a few blogs. Usually they're focused on particular fields. You'll have a trademark blog, a trade secret yeah. blog, etc. So some of it's a, a function of what you're most interested in at the moment. But, you know, really, there's, there, I mean, lawyers, because we are obviously always 
marketing to <laughs> kind of get our business. Uh, getting good content out there is a way to uh, bring people in, and so you'll find that the certainly the, the major law firms and those that focus like we do on startups and early stage companies um, will have the kind of content you're talking about. It actually just occurred to me coincidentally. I, I just sort of finished polishing up a memo uh, as an introduction to intellectual property, which is shortly going to appear on my firm's website, so if people will hold their breath for another week or so, <laughs> nice. uh, we'll have a, a newly posted memorandum that summarizes patents, copyrights, trademarks, and trade secrets. So um, for the real beginner, that would be where I would recommend you start for that nice. kind of knowledge. And that's uh, mbbp.com, your, your uh, main website there? Yep, the okay. Morse, Barnes, Brown, Pendleton. Yes, so indeed. It's just the acronym. Of yep, easy yep. enough. Um, so, okay, that's that's good to know. And, and I, can, I can imagine, again, you know, you yourself are working with early stage companies and startups, part of the reason why I got you on board in the first place here. Um, when, when somebody believes, you know, maybe I have something that's IPable, or maybe this is... Uh, you know, a serious IP concern or consideration. You know, maybe they're they're in the ideation phase, or they're they're just getting their first bucks in the front door, and they feel as though they have a a process, a, a, an an app, a, something or other, which which to them would would seem to kind of ring those IP bells. Um, what what would you give for practical advice as to you know whether or not you should really make this a consideration or a concern for you as of yet as a startup? Because I'm sure you see plenty of ideas where, you know, folks consider something to be IP, which really is not, and maybe other times where they ignore it when it is. So maybe a little bit of practical advice there, I think, would be useful. Yeah. Um, it'd be a little hard to be practical without sort of drilling down a lot. Yeah, there are yeah. some distinctions to be made here. So, for example, uh, you use the word app. So if you're sort of, your field is programming and you're creating software, um, software can be protectable by patents, be protectable by trade secrets to the extent you can kind of keep it behind a closed door and use non-disclosure agreements to, to protect it. Uh, but it's inherently protectable by copyright. The law looks at software and you're writing some code as if you're writing the words in a book and it gets protected surprisingly almost the same way. Uh, the nice thing about that is copyright in the U.S. is automatic. Is as soon as you fix your code in a tangible form, save it to a disk or whatever, uh, it's automatically protected by copyright in the U.S. Registration is available as a way to perfect your rights, but you really don't have to do anything more than create the work and fix it in tangible form to be able to claim a copyright to it. Got it. So for things that are subject to copyright, it's actually surprisingly easy. But when you get to the really interesting stuff that's not copyrightable, <laughs> uh, and whether you're in the life sciences and it's a, you know, kind of a pharmaceutical uh, invention on the one hand, or or in some other area where maybe it's a secret formula, uh, developed a new Coca-Cola or some other chemical composition, yeah. um, and where it's either going to be protectable by patents or trade secrets, you've got to worry that if you start to share it too quickly, to the extent it, it could have been protected as a secret, once you start talking to people about it, um, you blow the secret unless you've got them under an ADA, huh. non-disclosure agreement. Uh, if it's patentable and you start to talk about it, you actually start a clock running. In the U.S., you get sort of a one-year period from the time you first disclose it publicly to when you've got to file your patent or you completely lose the ability to file a patent. The point of both of those little anecdotes together is that, you know, except in the, in the areas where you know copyright will protect you good enough, and so it's automatic, 
Uh, if you're going to have to start talking to people about it, whether it's uh, to get consultation in your business, potential fundraising, yeah. uh, venture capitalists or angels, um, engineers who might be hired to work with you, uh, employees, other hires, etc. Before you start sharing it, you've got to make some important decisions. Either you're, if it's patentable, you don't want to start sharing it without being very careful that you don't give away too much or fail to protect it to file in time, or with trade secrets, you want to make sure you're not sharing it at all without something signed. And that's a kind of a long-winded way of saying that before you start disclosing your ID to third parties, you really ought to, if you're not sophisticated about it, you really should talk to a lawyer who can tell you what you've got to do and worry about. Sometimes if you've got an invention and that's going to be sort of the secret sauce of your company um, and a key component of its value, and you want to make sure you're going to be securing it, you have the opportunity of filing what they call a provisional patent application, a not full-blown patent that sort of is a place saver for a year, lets you do something that would preserve your patent rights if you're going to eventually be able to go for them, um, and allows you to start talking to people without worrying that you started this one-year clock ticking that could kill your ability to do the patent. Yeah. So, again, talk to a lawyer when you're developing it internally, that's all good, though. Obviously, speaking to a lawyer might help focus your attention on what to emphasize, what not to emphasize, and what to do next. But while you're internal, it's not as critical. The moment you think, I've got to start sharing the secrets, the ideas, yep. the business concepts, etc., with third parties, you really better get a lawyer or someone who understands the way the law works involved, or you could be shooting yourself in the foot and losing valuable intellectual property without even realizing it. Okay, understood. And... and um, I know we're, we're coming right up on time, so I'll sort of throw this out there as, as a topic that I feel like will be relevant because I've heard a number of investors anyway, I suppose maybe it's a little bit of a different perspective, but they're always like, oh man, you know, these startups come in here with a brand new idea and they're you know, asking me to sign an NDA before they even show me you know, their brilliant idea that's never made money and isn't live anywhere, blah, blah, and I'm always like, get out of here. You know what I mean? So I've seen a decent amount of that perspective and I imagine even for you as a lawyer, there are some circumstances where it's not even worth your time, really. I mean, in terms of even sitting down and having the conversation, it's just it's just this sort of preemptive, maybe paranoia level. Um, is there a line to be drawn there? I mean, are, are the investors, is that generally just a super biased, borderline invalid, uh, you know, a position on their part because it's just a hurdle for them and they don't want to deal with it? Or is there a little bit of validity to, hey, there is some, you know, IP paranoia for things that don't exist yet, which people should calm down about. I mean, do you put up with a lot of that? Or for you, is it for the most part valid concerns and, and those bells should be ringing in people's ears and they should be getting investors to you know, sign documents before they're sharing their, their uh, software concept? Yeah, it's sort of interesting. We, we actually, part of our firm's practice is representing various angels, investors, and venture capitalists from time to time. So you know, we get to see it from both sides. Yep. Realistically, I mean, if you're a young entrepreneur, um, the likelihood that you're going to get a... Um, an institutional investor to sign a non-disclosure agreement is, by my experience, pretty slim. They yeah. tend not to do that. Uh, some of their reasoning is, look, you know, we, we hear a hundred ideas. Exactly. We signed an NDA for every one of them. You know, we'd be papering our offices with potential law claims. Th that's it. That's because it. Because we're going to have a lot of ideas that are going to overlap. So we just don't want to be put in that position. And that's not crazy. On the one hand, they also part of it is just like trust us. You know, we've got a good reputation. Yeah. Don't routinely steal people's ideas and give it to <laughs> someone else. It's not how we do business. If we did, we'd be out of it very quickly. And I yep. think there's truth to 
that too. Understood. So I think that, you know, so from the, the perspective of the, the entrepreneur who's trying to approach these financing sources, um, you know, I think if you're talking to individual, you know, potential high net worth individual investors, there an NDA is usually appropriate and will not be viewed as being, you know, horrible. And typically they'll get signed. Some angels will. Some, you know, institutional investors will too, just for the hell of it. But, you know, for the most part, assume that other than the individual investor, you're not going to get these people to sign, which is why, so talk to your lawyer. It's like, what am I losing if I don't get the signature? And if it's, if you have to share with the investor the guts of your invention, then even if the investor is totally upright and would never share it with anyone else, if they're not under an NDA, by law, that might be considered a public disclosure, which starts that one year I was mentioning before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Filing done. You know, so I think, again, being, being a, a lawyer can help calm you down here, help you decide what are the situations that are okay and what are not. I mean, I, I think realistically, you know, from a certain perspective, I think maybe entrepreneurs get, get stuck with an idea that they think is valuable. I wouldn't say good ideas are a dime a dozen but they really are. Great ideas are very rare. <laughs> yeah. Chances are you don't have one. Yep. Maybe you have a good idea. And what's going to make it successful is not keeping it confidential, but executing yeah, it. Precisely. Okay. So if, you get, if you get too paranoid about the sort of keeping it confidential, you may find that you never quite get enough uh, bandwidth and, and resources involved in excitement to make it execute well. So, I mean, I think there's a balancing act here. You've got to be aware of the law. You've got to be aware of the risks of disclosures with or without NDAs. Um, you know, you should, often you can do a sort of a scale disclosure. You share as much as is necessary to get them interested and want to sign something to come back later. Or you get the filing done and now you can share more fully. So there's lots of strategies for doing it. Yeah. A lot of it depends on the kind of idea you know that you have as well. So some ideas are just, even, even the entrepreneur recognizes it, unless they're earth-shaking here, this will be just about execution, but I think I can do it better than anyone else. They're a little less concerned. You don't have a, you probably don't have an invention, there's yep. nothing to patent, there's not even a whole lot of NDA-ish kind of stuff there. It's not trade secrets, it's just, I can execute, I have the great team, but I need some funding. Then you, you have a lot less reason to worry than if you, you know, you really have come up with an earth-shaking idea, no one's doing it, and you've got to keep it as confidential as possible, and there it does make sense to work with NDAs, work with trustworthy sources, um, and work with a lawyer who can help make sure it all comes together the right way. Big time. And, and to that point, I suppose I know we're just on time here. I more than appreciate the insights, uh, even myself. Again, that's very much not uh, my domain. So the various flavors and misconceptions, this is all more than interesting on my end. If folks want to learn a little bit more, maybe they're in, a, they're in a position where they have to make some of these distinctions and maybe get some of these paperwork, uh, some of this paperwork drawn up, or just understand whether or not it's the right move for them, um, how would they reach out and, and find you? Well, uh, the law firm is Morris Barnes, Brown, and Pendleton. If you've got either my name or my law firm's name, it would be very easy to go to the web and find us. Uh, we are not trying to be secret. We're trying to be as public <laughs> and equally locatable as possible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's I mean, good for business. Out, yeah. always, you know, we're always interested to hear from entrepreneurs with good ideas and visions. And uh, we work with a lot of new folks. And, uh, you know, give me a call. All right. I like it, Howard. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time today. I very much appreciate being on Tech Emergency. Yeah, you're welcome, Dan. And thanks for the excellent questions. Great. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker, 
uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential. And make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, then be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Uh, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>